If you've been listening to my show for a while, you know how I like to talk about a gut biome test. I call it a fancy poop test. It's a fancy name for a poop test. And it's going to tell us what the ecosystem is in your gut. And why that's important is since food's the best medicine, it's going to tell us, here are your superfoods just for you to eat. Here are the foods for you to avoid. And here's everything else. Eat this a lot. Eat this a little. Now, my team has been very busy and they got an amazing deal. For anybody that wants to do this test, you can do it at home. You don't need a doctor's orders. All you have to do is just go to Viome, V as in Victor, I-O-M as in Mary, E.com, Viome.com. And at checkout, use the secret code, Julie Ryan, and you'll get more than 50% off. Don't put any spaces in there, just Julie Ryan. It's an amazing test. It's going to give you tons of information. I've done it several times myself, and you're going to be thrilled with the information you get because it'll give you a program just for you. Give it a whirl. Julie Ryan, noted psychic and medical intuitive, is ready to answer your personal questions, even those you never knew you could ask. For more than 25 years, as she developed and refined her intuitive skills, Julie used her knowledge as a successful inventor and businesswoman to help others. Now, she wants to help you to grow, heal, and get the answers you've been longing to hear. Do you have a question for someone who's transitioned? Do you have a medical issue? What about your pet's health or behavior? Perhaps you have a loved one who's close to death and you'd like to know what's happening. Are you on the path to fulfill your life's purpose? No matter where you are in the world, take a journey to the other side and ask Julie Ryan. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Ask Julie Ryan Show. I'm Julie, your host, and I'm so delighted you could be with us this week. My intention in doing this show is to provide information, insight, and comfort to people all over the world by helping to answer life's unanswerable questions. And we have such a treat today. We've got Michelle Papillon with us. Hi, Michelle. Hey, hi, Julie. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you for taking the time out of your crazy schedule, your jet set life schedule to join us. It's uh, it's an honor and fun to have you with us. How I met Michelle, everybody, is Michelle's a client. And when we were talking about all kinds of things, I said, oh, my goodness, I need to have you on the show because my listeners and watchers on YouTube are going to love hearing your story. So I really appreciate you carving out a little bit of time for all of us today. Oh, for sure. I am a huge fan of the Julie Ryan podcast. Um, I've been listening to it. I heard about you through other podcasts that I followed. So I'm really happy to be here with you and with everyone else that is in the audience. Wonderful. All right, everybody, let me tell you about Michelle. She's ex- an extraordinary gal. Okay, here's the here's the official Condensed, greatly condensed scoop on Michelle. Michelle Pepion is an arts entrepreneur. For more than 20 years, Michelle's devoted her career to reimagining a more equitable art world. Working with communities and artists from around the globe, Michelle made a name for herself and her company, Pepion Art, as one of the world's most important dealers and advisors. Michelle advises some of the world's leading public and private art collections, 
the entertainment industry, in particular movies, television, and print media. I want to hear more about that. And works with major brands wanting an intersection in art and cultural relevancy. Recently, Michelle's turned her attention to opening a cultural arts center and to how artists relate to land and food. So, and that is a very abbreviated description of the things that Michelle's done in her young life. So she, you are a powerhouse, my girl, you are amazing. <laughs> and you're my kind of gal because you're an entrepreneur and, you know, once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur. I've read that your motto is do good in the world. What do you mean by that? Literally what it says, do good. Um, I think doing good is a choice we get to wake up to every day. Um, sometimes it's very easy to do good. You don't have to think about it. Um, but more and more, we are waking up to a world where you have to really actively choose what good is that day. So yeah, do good, be good. That's just the easiest and best way to be, in my opinion. Did you learn that in your childhood? Did you have your family teach you that motto or did you just pick it up along the way? I did. I did. I, my family was very much about living like that. My grandmother had a saying and she would tell us there ain't but one way and that's the right way. So it was really always about just do the right thing. Be honest. Don't lie. Don't steal. Like just be, have integrity, do good, treat people right. And You'll never have to worry about watching your back. You'll never have to worry about somebody trying to come and take something from you. It was just about do good, be helpful. And that's how you are. That's how we are. So tell us about from, from my upbringing. Tell us about your childhood. Where'd you grow up? Tell us a, a little bit about it. Yeah, I'm a Southern girl. I grew up down South. My family is from Louisiana. So my early childhood was between Louisiana and parts of Texas. And my family on my father's side were farmers and ranchers. My family on my mother's side, both parents are from Louisiana. On my mother's side, my family are also farmers, but my grandmother, my mother's mother, was a world-class fisherman, fisherwoman. She was an expert when it came to the waters and to the rivers and the lakes of Louisiana. And she fished all over the state, particularly Northern Louisiana where she was from. So I grew up down South around people who really depended on their own day-to-day -day work for survival. You got up, you went to the farm, you tended to the animals, you went to the lake, and that's how you sustained yourself. So I saw that a lot in my upbringing. Well, I know you and I have talked about that you resisted being a businesswoman. Why 
And what was the catalyst that got you to shift your concept or your opinion or your perspective as far as being a businesswoman, an entrepreneurial businesswoman at that? Right. So I come from an entrepreneurial family by default. Um, My grandfather started his own business. He was a carpenter, a master carpenter, and started a construction business. Um, But business was always really hard for people in my family. The respect, the um, being paid correctly, And then just images of seeing how business people were in movies. I watched a lot of films growing up and the business people were always like the antagonists. They were the ones who were tearing down the neighborhoods and, you know, just being the nuisance. And so I did not associate with any of that. And I didn't want to associate with something that I thought brought you hardship, but it wasn't until I got into my adult life and I started doing these ideas that I had in my mind that I realized in order for my ideas to really take shape, I've got to like put myself in business boot camp. <laughs> and so I kind of started thinking about business is not a linear thing and it doesn't have to be the way that it was for my family. And it doesn't have to be the way that I saw it on TV. So I started cultivating a new way of what doing business was for me, which was all the stuff that I just talked about, like from childhood, just do good business, be honest, don't over promise and underestimate. I was, I'm very transparent with how I do business, the expectations that I have of my collaborators and what they can expect from me. So in a very like gentle way, I just started putting in place these practices that really set us up for success, but also allowed for anyone else that was involved with what we were doing to also have, it was like a shared success, right? It was very communal. And so, yeah, now I fully embrace it. I am a woman who's in business and own several businesses now. And um, that's, that is, that is my life. That's, and it's, I feel very grateful to have arrived at this place at this stage where I can still do what I love and survive and live off of the things that I love doing. What was the path that you took when you left home and then you started in, in your business life? Was it, did it, did it all come easy to you? Did, was it more like a journey? How were you drawn to things? What, what was it that led you to do some of these different adventures that you've been able to experience along your short life? Yeah. um, When I left home, I left home for college, went, moved to Washington, D.C. And from Washington, D.C., I realized it's a whole world out there. 
and I just really wanted to see it. I didn't have in my very early young adulthood life, I didn't have a career trajectory for myself. I knew that I was curious about everything that was happening outside of me. So I traveled a great deal um, all over the world. I, I went on a very shoestring student budget to different parts of Europe, uh, different parts of Africa, uh, Asia, South America. So I started to have a, a global perspective um, very early on. And it was this perspective that helped shape my opinion about what art was. Art was something that I'd studied in college, art history. And when I started my art business, it was really just me testing ideas out. I didn't have a real plan for the business when it debuted. I just wanted to do something. And the, the connections and the relationships that I'd made through my travels really started to come into fruition because these were the people that I called when I decided to do my first art show um, at an art space. And so what I thought would be maybe like a three month project turned into now. <laughs> I started that company in 2010, so 12 years ago, a three-month project parlayed into oh, what my life is right now. Right. And and that's how you opened your galleries in LA, right? You eventually exactly. came to LA and were drawn there. And tell us about your first opening. I love that story. Yeah. So in 2010. I decided that I wanted to try and put an exhibition together. So I went around looking for spaces to host an art show. And I found a really cute space in the edges of South Central Los Angeles, right on the edge of downtown LA and South Central LA. And the space that I found was an old uh, bodega, an old Mexican like supermarket. And I made a deal with the landlord. They were like, you can take it. They gave me a five month lease and we moved everything out. We gutted out the whole space, took out all the refrigeration and shelving because it truly looked like a little convenience store. And when we did gut it out, it was this really beautiful brick building. I mean, the walls were brick walls. It had beautiful tile on the floor. It was very art deco, my first gallery space. And it took us a month to pull it all together. And we moved in in March, we revamped it. And then we opened April 15th, 2010. I emailed the flyer to all of my friends in California, in New York, in London, and all these parts of the world. And I was like, I'm opening a gallery, send this out. And my friends did send it out. And that night, about 400 people showed up. And that was a big deal because I didn't know, I knew maybe 20 of those people that had came out for this thing. But what I realized was, Folks were so 
excited to support something new and to support something that they hadn't really heard of. And when they came, it just was a beautiful time. We had artists there. We had two musical performers who, who did some performances. And it was just nice. It just, that night let me know that I was on to something. And I still didn't fully understand what I was on to, but I knew something had happened and I need to keep going with this. Absolutely. And when you tell that story, this is the second time I've heard you tell this story. Both times I get full body goosebumps. So there was definitely a spiritual thing going on and you felt it that night. And that attendance with all those people showing up Mm -hmm. was, Mm -hmm. was validation for you that you were being led and there was a bigger purpose here and, and you were being rewarded. Did you sell some art that night? We did sell some art that night. That's how I was able to do my second art show because we made enough to pay the rent for the next month. And I, I said, okay, well, we sold some art and we paid the artists and we had money left for ourselves and we did another show. And it just little by little kept happening like that. There were definitely like challenging moments. Um, I opened in 2010 and then in 2011, I say that was the first time where I felt that I was like having a breakthrough moment and really intentionally looking at what is consciousness? Where do I play into that? What does it mean for me? And I started to really have that awakening uh, in 2011 and an awakening in a way that was like, I really need to look into this thing because I've always felt spirit, but I never really engaged with it in an intellectual way, in a scientific way. I just had faith and I believed in the things that I believed in. In 2011, I started to really be like an investigator into spirit. I was doing all this research and that was a really important time for me in in my business self because it made me think about what am I doing with my business and how does this play into my, the whole, you know, me as a whole entire person, like, what am I offering? So all of that was just like a moment of learning, expansion and growth. Well, and I think for most people, especially entrepreneurs, that it doesn't happen overnight. It's step by step by step. And you're led someplace and then you're led someplace else. And it's, I equate it to being on the yellow brick road. You know, you take a step like Dorothy and Toto with the Tin Man and a step may land you in a field of poppies and you take a nap and it's wonderful. Yeah. Or a step may land you in the wicked witch's castle. And it's scary because you got flying monkeys floating around, you know, flying yeah. around you and mm-hmm. you got the the guards and all those guys. But at the end of the day, even when we're in the haunted castle, we understand, okay, there's a bucket of water over here 
and I'm led to throw this water on this wicked witch and the wicked witch melts. And then I'm the hero when I continue on the yellow brick road to Oz. And so everything is perspective. You talk about being in a vibrational frequency. And I assume that's what you were talking about in 2011, that you were in this vibrational frequency. How do you get there? Can you explain to us what it feels like or looks like or sounds like or anything along those lines? How do you reach it? How do you stay into it? How do you get information that's actionable that you can utilize to move forward in your life, in your business, in your your path? I had a very sincere yearning. And for me, I said, I need to figure out what I'm feeling, what's real, what's my imagination, what is all of this. And so I went back to like the basics of childhood. And in childhood, when I wanted to learn about something, you know, you have your research techniques, you go to the library, you use like the, you know, the bibliography system, you're doing this, you're reading books, you're bookmarking them, you're making notes. I kind of approached this new feeling as if I was a student and I was in class and I needed to have very practical techniques because I didn't want to be a person who was too polarized on either spectrum, too dark or too light. I still needed to like pay rent. I still needed to like be active in my business. I still, there were very tangible things that I had to be responsible for, but I also needed to investigate what was happening with me spiritually. And so, it was like I gave myself these homework assignments um, and I started to really get disciplined with meditation. In the beginning, I didn't know if I was meditating properly or not. It didn't matter if I was doing it correctly. I just needed to do it. And it just became a routine sort of way of living until one day, it wasn't routine, it was just a part of me. And I was realizing the way that I thought, the way that I looked, the way that I moved my outlook on things, just slowly I started feeling like I had gained something. I had gained a new perspective. I gained some information that was helpful to me, but not gained it in an intellectual way. I gained it in this way that felt cellular, like in my body, I don't have to question, should I do this thing or not in my business? I just, the intuition part really became so strong. And then I was realizing the kinds of things that were coming to me in terms of opportunity or people, or just being able to experience little moments of beautiful things, you know, making it home just in time when I walk out the door and look out of the window, the sun is setting right in front of my window. Wow. Like <laughs> I was appreciating so many things that were going on in my life, but in a very natural, organic way. And 
that frequency started to just permeate my entire existence and then my entire like living space and then my entire workspace. And I was noticing through conversations, the people that would come into the gallery were also experiencing this same frequency because they were expressing it verbally to me. So I realized that my spiritual work that I was doing was having like real world, um, not consequences, but I was seeing these things play out because people walking into my business were now telling me things that they were feeling. You know, like the vibe is so nice in here. I feel relaxed. This is so great. They were able to enjoy themselves in ways that they didn't have that experience in any other places in the city. So that's when it became very real to me, like the intention of what I'm doing and being very um, respectful and responsible for that kind of work. Well, thoughts create our reality and all thoughts have a vibration. You know that. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. acceptance and gratitude are some of the two highest frequencies of vibrations of thoughts and all thoughts come in from the ethers. So when you spend a lot of your day in a high vibration, it feels good. That affects your surroundings and the people that are around you. And furthermore, when you're in a vibration where you feel good, you attract more things that feel good. So that's why mm -hmm. I always think, what, how can we have fun at this? How can we make this enjoyable? Even if it's something that we wouldn't choose to do, like yes. fold the laundry <laughs> or pay bills or something that we know that we need to do just to your mm -hmm. point, to have our lives run smoothly, but what can we do to make it fun? Can we turn on some fun music? Can we light a candle that smells good? Can we, I, I have been known to have music on and dance in the laundry room while I'm folding laundry just to try and make it fun. And it goes fast and it's enjoyable. And then you stay in that high vibe, just simple things that we can do. So, so that's what's so happening. True. Plus I've read too, and see if this resonates with you, Michelle, that our energy affects a radius of, it can affect around 750 people around us. Mm. So it doesn't surprise me that when people come into your galleries or come into some of your other ventures, that it feels good because you feel good and your vibration affects them much like what a metronome. I know you're a musician too. I didn't get to that yeah. part of my condensed yeah. bio, but you know what a metronome is. You know, you can put a whole Absolutely. bunch of metronomes in a room, TikToking at different speeds. They're all going to synchronize to the same speed. How's that work? I don't know. I just know it does. That That is such a great example. Um, you are totally correct with that. The metronomes will all get on the same frequency because they're in the room and their whole purpose is to align and harmony. We use metronomes to, you know, not just keep us on beat for a, a song, but to stay in the 
frequency, the harmony of the song, that we have harmonies, we have melodies, we have frequencies in music, you have vibrations in music. And so the metronome is that tool that we use to keep us like in sync with everyone else that's playing with us. I hadn't read about the thing of 750 people being able to experience this, uh, the frequency that is laid out, but I have ex I've experienced it in my spaces. We've had times where 750 people have been in the room. Um, it's real, it is real. And I, when I started to really recognize that I set the tone for folks who are gonna walk through that door, it was like a constant intentional, it just, it, it helped me to stay in my practice that much more greater because I woke up every day with the intention of not just what I'm doing and bringing into the world, but what I would like for folks who are walking through the door, you know, that things are going well, that people are coming here with best intentions, um, that it's this honorable reciprocal exchange that we can have. I wanted people to come in feeling good, right? Or, or to leave there feeling good um, or just feeling something that was purposeful. And I think we did that time and time and time again. Well, the, the response that you got for your first opening when you had 400 people show up, that was people relating to your frequency, many of whom mm -hmm. had never met you yet, but, but our frequencies touch everything that we put out. So you sending that flyer, you sending that email and that email coming from you to friends and acquaintances who forwarded it, who blah, 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 forwarded that email and that flyer, it had the Michelle vibe on all of that stuff. And that's what people were attracted to. We can't see it, but you know, it's a phenomenon that works. And I do as well, because the people that we need to show up, always show up exactly when we need them. And we think, oh my gosh, when I trace back those steps, there's no way I could have mapped that out. Mm -hmm. So that's what's happening. And that's what happened for you. And that's what continues to happen for you. Cause I know you pull off some magical things that we'll get to in a minute. And, it, and it's because of your vibration, people are attracted to it. And it's that be good, do good thing. That's at your, the core of your, how about a woo woo word core of your beingness. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> woo -woo yeah. Word. yeah. yeah. But it's really true. Yeah. Okay. You ended your TED talk with this saying from Pablo Picasso, quote, inspiration exists, but it has to find you working, end quote. Why does this message resonate so much with you? I love that quote because it's really the truth. Um, Most of us have busy lives and 
we know that we're not getting the nutrients and the vitamins and the minerals that we need. So I'm always looking for easy ways to ingest them. I found one, it's called Beam Minerals. And what I find is that most of us don't get enough potassium, magnesium, and calcium. Those are the big three. And so what Beam Minerals does is it's put all these minerals in a liquid form that's easy to drink because it tastes like water. It's got all these important minerals and a whole bunch of other ones. And I find that they're really helpful. They save me time. They're easy to take. And I suggest that you give them a try. Go to Beam Minerals. B as in boy, E-A-M, minerals, plural, dot com, and use the code Julie Ryan, altogether, no space, at checkout, and you'll get 20% off your order. That's Beam Minerals, B-E-A-M, minerals, dot com, and use Julie Ryan at checkout, and you'll get a 20% discount. Give it a try and let me know what you think. I have had moments of being in the public space and also moments of retreating from the public space. And the times where I find inspiration is when I am working. And that doesn't necessarily have to be like working towards a business or working towards, I just need to be doing something that is putting me into this movement of flow, into working, having ideas, constructing them. Um, inspiration really comes when you are working towards something. I am a deeply inspired person by a lot of things. I'm inspired by beauty. Beauty is the number one inspiration for me. And I find that in a lot of places. And so to get the inspiration that I need, I've got to be doing stuff. Um, yeah, Picasso is a very complex person and complex artist, but I use those quotes because I'm like, he really hit the nail on that one. He got it. Well, he got you, it. In order to manifest, you've got to take action. Absolutely. And that's where people get stuck. I'll have people say to me, I've, I've been thinking about this happening for years and I focus on it every day and I write down my affirmations and I say them in the mirror and I, and nothing's happened. I, I want to meet the perfect guy and I've written down all of his characteristics and all of that. And I'll say, okay, well, uh, tell me about your life. Well, I work from home. I rarely go out. You know, I mean, you got to take some action. You got to get yourself out there. You get, whether it's online in dating stuff, whether it's talking to your friend's grandmother saying, Hey, do you have any friends that have a guy that you want to introduce me to, or, or a son or a grandson or know somebody that does, you know, we got to take action. I think that's the missing link in the manifestation whole Bible of manifesting. People somehow think that they can just think about it. And then it's just going to, Prince Charming is going to show up and ring your doorbell and ask you out for dinner. Chances of that are pretty slim. I'm not saying it's zero, but probably not going to happen. And so what can we do to take action for whatever it is that we're creating? And that's why we're here. We're all, we all incarnate in order to create. 
And when we're done creating, we die, we go to heaven. And what do we do? We're in heaven and we're creating something else that we want to come back and explore and experience in our next (laughs) life. So it's never ending. And in, as long as we can figure out a way to make that creation fun, if it's interesting, feels good, you're having fun, you're being led, follow that. If it feels bad, go back and reassess, you know, what, what do I need to tweak on this? And you obviously have mastered that. Why'd you close your Los Angeles art galleries? How did you know the time was right? What, what was it that led you to these I know bigger projects that we're going to get to in a minute here, but what was it that led you to make that decision? What led me to make the decision was my own unhappiness. I felt like a little hamster on a hamster wheel that was going in a circle of nowhere. And I never felt that way in life ever. I I'm literally, my last name means butterfly. So I've always felt free. And there came a time where I felt very constricted. And that kind of feeling, I just, I was like a shrinking violet. So it was a really easy choice for me to choose me and not the business. I felt that The business was doing really well. It was very successful on all of Chords. We were making good money. We were very popular. We were doing fantastic, um, but I was not doing fantastic. And so I chose to deal with me for a little bit because I could make another business when I was back to myself. So I just, I closed them. I had two galleries. I closed both. Um, The people of Los Angeles were sad. I got a lot of emails and phone calls and text messages um, about it. But people were also very supportive of, we don't know why you did it, but we believe in you. So whenever you want to do something else, we'll support you. And it took me a few years. I took a long sabbatical, a very long sabbatical, and just took that time to sit with myself and, and rediscover, or maybe actually discover for the first time, uh, who I was as a woman, a fully grown woman. Because a lot of these ideas I had started from childhood and teenager and young adult, but now I'm grown, right? So who am I today? And I think that's what I needed to figure out. So. Well, and those galleries opened up all kinds of avenues of opportunity for you too, in people that you met. And, and I know you, I had mentioned in your bio that you consult in the entertainment industry. So of course, I got to ask you about that real fast and then we'll, we'll come back to the feeling thing, but I know you consult on movies and in print, my goodness, you've been in so many publications from the New York times to the LA times to Vogue to gosh, all across the board. And, 
and featured on TV shows. And I know you consult in movies and TV and all of that. So tell us a little bit about that, because obviously those connections came from you taking the step to open these galleries in LA. So tell us a little bit about yeah. that. So, yeah, I'm glad you brought this up because just a little background story about most businesses in the art world. Traditionally, and this is changing actually, um, I think my business has been definitely a driving force in the conversation of change. But prior to, you know, for many years to be in the art world, you had to be a trust fund baby. You had to come from a very important art collective family. You had to be a person of wealth. And I was none of those things. Um, so for me, I started a business that was art centered and was about artists and artistic creative communities, but I was not trying to break into the mainstream you know, art world. Because I chose to just do it how I do it, be me, do the ideas I wanted, I wasn't really pandering to one person or another. I just was doing what felt good and felt honest. That got the attention of the art world and they came to me. And in that process, it was like a whirlwind of amazing opportunities being featured in prominent publications like Vogue and you know the Wall Street Journal and Huffington Post and gosh I mean a, a lot of major press um, doing that got the attention of another creator who I adore Issa, Issa Rae she had a show on HBO called Insecure the director of that show Melenia called me up and was like we need some art and I told her, come on down. And um, I helped them do some things for their pilot episode. And that show lasted another five years where we were doing things with them. So me just really honoring myself. Not, I didn't, I, um, I get butterflies in my stomach when I'm getting ready to present things, but I try to never doubt what I'm doing I just say listen we hear the time has come just get out there right I just really commit and so me honoring that part of myself not second guessing the things that I was doing all of those little moments led to more and more things coming that's how the work in the tv industry came with consulting for for film and television that's how the press came you know I I didn't have a PR person that I was keeping on payroll so Vogue and all of these other publications they were really coming to us because of the work we were doing um, and the work that I was doing was really about showing artists that I believed in having fun in the places that our business was located and talking to people about what they'd like to see happen. What can we do as a art business to make things a little bit 
easier or better or more interesting, you know? So all of that brought these other opportunities, which I'm very grateful for. Because there was a spark of you and your authenticity that went out in every project that you did. And that's what attracted more and more opportunities. And that's how it works because the do good, be good motto, which I love, it's so simple. That's part of who you are. And that's why everything that you touch comes back to you tenfold because of that spark of Michelle that is in everything that you send out. Yeah, you know, you have such a wonderful way of putting to words how energy works in such a practical way. Years ago, I remember reading an article about the founder of Little Caesar's Pizza. He had just passed away. And there was an article that came out about the philanthropic work that he did. And I'm looking at the article and I'm like, I remember Little Caesar's and we used to eat that when I was growing up, the $5 pizza pizza. And in it, they're talking about this man's work outside of business. And he was a major philanthropist. He supported many wonderful things. But the thing that stood out to me was he cared so much about the things that were a part of his life that were outside of his company. And it made me think if he cared about these other things so much, how did he run his business? So I started thinking about my relationship to Little Caesar's Pizza. When I was a little girl on Fridays, my mother would pick my brother and I up from school and we would drive to this little strip mall and there was a blockbuster video and we could rent two videos and we would get a comedy and we would get a horror. And then we'd walk next door to Little Caesars and get the $5 pizza. And then we'd walk next door to that, to the supermarket because we had to get a salad if we were gonna eat pizza. And we always like gave my mom crap because we were like, salad, that doesn't go with pizza. But we would go home and we would eat the pizza and we'd watch movies. And like those moments in my childhood like set the stage up for this call that we're on. Because my mom, who was a single parent, could afford to go and spend $7 and we buy a $5 pizza and the $2 movies. And like, that was like such a, it just really were the most important things that family time that we had. And it made me think about energy because I'm like, this guy that started this company had no idea that a little girl would be eating the pizza and having the time of her life with her brother and her mother. And then one day grow up and start this art company. But it's like, that just stays with me so much, this man who started this thing, because I'm like, the energy, the intention, and reading about the things that he did in his life in that obituary, I was really impressed. I was really floored. And also it made me think about the goodness that I have with something that he created, you know? I'm not really too much of a pizza eater now, but it's like, 
I still feel nostalgic about Little Caesars Pizza every time I pass it up. I'm like, I should just go and get one for old time's sake because some of the best moments in my life happened with this man's company. And then reading about him all those years later, I was like, of course he did all this good stuff because I have so many good memories because of the business that he made. So that was a little tangent, but great story though. That's how I think about energy. Yeah. That's how I really think about energy is that when you, when your essence is in something and you have the intention, the intent to do good, to bring value to the world, to be helpful to society, it doesn't matter if you're in the pizza business, if you're in the wellness business, if you're in the bricklaying business, that energy is in the thing. For me, I just happen to be in the arts business and everything that you've said, I'm like, you say it so beautifully because my essence is in that. It's in that experience. It's in this space. It's in that flyer, you know? So that's something that I don't take lightly. Well, changing directions a little bit, speaking of your essence being in spaces, what's the Upeksha Query Project? Tell us about that. Yeah, so Upeksha Query really came out of this kind of work. I realized that understanding consciousness in a deeper way is something that I'm going to be into for the rest of my life. And I wanted to be able to have these conversations and support others who are having these conversations in a real way. So Upeksha is about um, collaborating and nurturing um, partnerships with other folks. And some of them are artists and creatives. Some of them are scientists or mathematicians or writers, um, but just folks who are interested in investigating what consciousness is, how it expands, how it progresses, um, all of these things. And I'm very open to conversation around what that looks like from a scientific perspective, from the spiritual perspective, from the um, from, a, from folks who don't have a perspective, but are consciously living. So that's what the Upeksha query is really about. Um, and we have a space in Joshua Tree that we bring folks together every year to have these brainstorming and dialogue sessions. Well, and I know another one of your adventures has to do with the connection between art and land and farming and sustainable, what, ecology and all of that. Tell us about that. Yes. So land stewardship um, is something that is a full circle moment for me. I told you about my childhood and my family's legacy in terms of farming but really our legacy is 
land stewardship. So recently, very recently in the last year or two, I have relaunched our family farm. Um, it's called Royal Queen, Royal Queen Farms. It's a name that my mother came up with. And it is about really honoring the conscious environments that we live in, the consciousness that we need in order to continue to be here, right? Sustainably, people use the word sustainable a lot. It's a hot button word, but what does that really mean? And so reestablishing our farm, um, protecting the, the natural environment that we've been living in for centuries and also creating space to invite others to don't necessarily have land or don't necessarily come from farming um, families, but are interested in what that looks like and how we as people can live in nature and in natural environments and how we support one another. So the farm and even the new space that I'm, I'm opening up next year, uh, Roots. Roots is, uh, I, I just bought my first commercial building, which I'm, I'm still like through the roof about it. Um, we closed a month ago actually, but in this new space, I am opening up a cafe called Roots, Roots Cafe and Roots Performance. The arts and performance venue side of Roots is to cultivate what I've always been doing my entire career, working with artists from a local to an international perspective. Uh, so we'll be doing musical performances, we'll be doing exhibitions. Uh, there is a kitchen, so there's that food component. It's a true farm to table restaurant. Things are coming from my farm, but we also are working with other farmers in the southern regions from Louisiana and Georgia and Arkansas. So there's lots of um, homegrown, back to the land, back to your roots. That aesthetic right now is what's really speaking to me. So I'm trying to merge my passions in art and my passions in conscious living and my passions for uh, nature and the reverence I have for all those things kind of coming together, right? Being blended and it's blended in my new space, Roots. And Roots is gonna be where? Roots is in Louisiana. It's in historic downtown Shreveport. The building that we bought is such a beautiful, elegant two-story building, um, three stories if you include the rooftop that we're setting up, but uh, it's in historic downtown Shreveport. And like I said at the beginning, you know, that's where my mother's side of the family's from. We have long roots in Shreveport, and I feel that my participation, what I'm gonna be doing with this building is a real step towards doing some healing in the community between Black Shreveport 
and White Shreveport. Um, there's a history there that is complicated and sometimes a little chaotic, but Shreveport is such a beautiful place. Um, I have wonderful moments and memories from my childhood being there. Visually, in terms of land, it's very green and lush and things grow in abundance. And I like to see nature reflecting abundance because it allows me to know that the people and the other things that are living in this nature can also be abundant. You have to just make room to allow for that to come through. So I'm very excited about what my new venture will be, will become. And the more people I've been telling about it back home, they're like more excited than me, I think. They hear like my little small elevator pitch and they're like, oh yeah, we're ready for this. This sounds amazing. So well, I think I'm you're excited. you're a great example of nature and nurture. You, I know your family farm has been in your family for multi generations, right? Mm -hmm. How many? How how long has that farm been in your family? Do you know? Since the 1700s. So there, there. there's that nature thing. And then the nurture mm -hmm. thing comes with that as well, but also you've been nurtured by people who've come into your orbit through your business adventures that have opened you up to the possibility of, I mean, who thinks about opening a cultural arts center? I don't know anybody except you, you're it. So I think you're mm -hmm. a great example of nature and nurture all blended together in this fabulous person who is able to follow where she's led and able to help others in the process and enjoy the ride at the same time. Do you have anything that you'd like our listeners to uh, follow? Any, any kind of advice as we close this, any advice or any suggestions on how our listeners and watchers, our audience can follow their dreams and help create the life that they really are, are looking to create? Yeah, I think my best advice would be we are in such a special time in the history of everything, right? And this moment that we're in is a moment of renewal, regenerativeness. Go after whatever is truly in your heart and don't relent on it because for the ones out there who actually are good and unafraid to do good, there is reward for you. And I believe that, and that doesn't mean it's easy, but it means that it's worth it and stuff will start to happen. You'll get there. So I think that's probably what I'd share is like, don't be afraid to go after what's truly in you and don't be afraid to be you. 
because that's what we really need more of is people being authentically themselves. I agree. How can people find out more about you? How can they get involved in some of your projects if there's an opportunity to do so? How can people reach you and follow you? Yes. Well, we're on all the socials. You can find me um, under Papillon Art. And we have the website is also that papillonart.com. We are launching like fruits and the other things I've been holding out until 2023 because we have a special rollout presentation. But next year, they'll be able to um, find roots and the farm and all these other things. I'm very like visual, so I don't like to put anything out before like the aesthetics are super on point. So that's what we're finishing up now are all the branding assets. But for now, Papillon Art is going to be talking about all the stuff that I'm into. Well, of course you're visual. You're an art dealer and an art you know, consultant. Exactly. Of course you're visual. Exactly. That, that's all right. Well, if you invite mm-hmm. me to the opening of the center in Shreveport, I'll come. Absolutely. I you're just invited. jump on Interstate 20 and I head west from Sweet Home, Alabama, from Birmingham. So we'll do that. Yes. Yes. Well, I think you're Perfect. just extraordinary and I absolutely adore you. And I'm grateful that you took some time today to to talk with me and and to everybody that's gonna listen to this. I think it's really gonna be impactful for a lot of people around the world. So thank you for for giving us your time today. Sending you sweet love from Sweet Home, Alabama, and also Michelle's in LA. So the the LA, Louisiana girl, sending you lots of love. (laughs) We'll be back with a regular show next week. Thanks everybody. Bye. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to follow Julie on Instagram and YouTube at Ask Julie Ryan and like her on Facebook at Ask Julie Ryan. To schedule an appointment or submit a question, please visit AskJulieRyan.com. This show is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be medical, psychological, financial, or legal advice. Please contact a licensed professional. The Ask Julie Ryan Show, Julie Ryan and all parties involved in producing, recording, and distributing it assume no responsibility for listeners' actions based on any information heard on this or any Ask Julie Ryan shows or podcasts.